Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church. We are located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard, South in Chesapeake, Virginia. So glad that you're listening to broadcast today. This is part number two on the message entitled Three Paths to Happiness. Just before I get into the message, I want to let you know that we're having a fall festival October 30, which is Saturday from 4 o'clock to 7 o'clock. I hope that you can join us for this annual event. We'll have lots of fun for you and your children Saturday, October 30th, Fall Festival from 4 o'clock to 7 o'clock. Well, let's talk about this subject of three paths to happiness. I told you in the last broadcast that you can have a path to happiness by redefining sin. And that is you just learn to accept sin by redefining what sin is in your life. And so I want you to know that that is a way that you can do it, but that makes you the higher standard because you're constantly redefining what sin is. You know, there's another way that you can find happiness and it's called self-discovery. And that is where you actually redefine yourself. And you look at yourself and say, I'm going to change the definition of who I am and I'm just going to learn to accept whoever I am. Now, as you look at these two ways, they both kind of leave you empty. As a matter of fact, they've done a lot of research and they've discovered something about what they would call a new moral code. There's actually a poll that was done back in August of 2015, and Barna talks about this particular poll. So let me ask you how you think about these statements. Statement number one, uh, the best way to find yourself is to look within yourself. Now, how do you feel about that statement? I want you to know that 91% of Americans actually agreed with that statement. 76% of Christians actually agreed with that statement. Well, here's another statement. People should not criticize somebody else's lifestyle choices. 89% agreed with that, and 76% of Christians agreed with that. Here's a third statement. To be fulfilled in life, you should pursue the things you desire most. 86% of Americans agreed with that statement. 72% of Christians agreed with that statement. Here's the fourth one. The highest goal in life is to enjoy it as much as possible. Now, 84% agreed with that, and 66% of Christians agreed with that. Here's another one. Number five, people can believe whatever they want, as long as those beliefs don't affect society. Now, 79% agreed with that, and 61% of Christians agreed with that. This last one really kind of surprised me, I'll be honest with you. 69% of Americans agreed with this statement. Any kind of sexual expression between two consenting adults is acceptable. Now, 40% of even Christians agreed with that statement. Now, I want you to know that you can strive to have happiness through moral conformity. In other words, redefining sin as society redefines sin. But as you go through that, you still experience guilt. You can also try self-discovery. That's where you redefine yourself. Defining yourself as you think you feel best, learning to love yourself, no matter what that self is. But that also leaves you empty. There is only one true way to find happiness, and that is by being Christ-centered. That is living a surrendered life. Today, I want to look at an Old Testament story of Cain and Abel. It's a fascinating story. I read the text in the broadcast yesterday, so I'm not going to read it again. But I want to give you some background of this story of Cain and Abel. As you know, Cain and Abel were to offer a sacrifice unto the Lord. Cain offers a sacrifice from the produce of the farm that he had. Abel offers a sacrifice of an animal, a perfect animal, without blemish, without spot. God said, I will accept the sacrifice of Abel, but I will reject the sacrifice by Cain. 
Cain's offering was not accepted because it was a works-based offering. So for the broadcast today, I want to cover six things really quick. Number one, I want to talk to you about why good works can't save us. I want to talk to you about how jealousy destroys us. Number three, I want to talk about how our heart controls us. Number four, I want to talk about why pride condemns us. Number five, I want to talk about how God restores us. And then we'll finish up the broadcast talking about why our actions reveal our beliefs. Well, subject number one, why can't works save us? You think about good works. We all want to do good works. We feel good when we do good works. But good works cannot undo evil. When Cain offered his sacrifice, it revealed his desire to be redeemed by the works of his hands. Look what it says in Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. It says, Time passed, and Cain offered an offering to God from the produce of his farm. Abel also brought an offering, but from the firstborn animals of his herd, the choice cuts of meat. Now, good works cannot save you because good works are like filthy rags, says Isaiah 64, 6. They are done to make you feel self-righteous. Our good works have absolutely no effect on our salvation. Now, Jesus gave a parable about two sons. And, and this is a parable that everybody can relate to. Jesus has the Pharisees gathered around them, and he says, hey, what do you guys think about this? There was a man, he had two sons. He went to the first son and says, now, son, go and work in my vineyard today. That son says, I will not. But later he changed his mind. He repented, and he went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he never went. Now, which of these two did what the father wanted? They said, well, the first, of course. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. Now, that wasn't what they expected to hear from Jesus. Jesus continues by saying, John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe in him. You know, in our church on Sunday mornings, we are going through the study of the prodigal son. Now, as you look at the story of the prodigal son, there are some interesting aspects of this story that I think we kind of gloss over. In a book entitled Back from the Brothel, we discover that Jesus goes so far as giving these words about the tax collectors. He says, I tell you the truth, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Jesus announced this to the religious authorities of his day. After puzzling over this provocative statement, C.S. Lewis concluded, prostitutes are in no danger of finding their present life so satisfactory that they cannot turn to God. The proud, however, the self-righteous, are in that danger. You see, the danger of expecting salvation through good works is that it will turn you into a person who is self-righteous. We learn from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, that we are not redeemed through corruptible or perishable means, but we are redeemed because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or without spot. Listen, I want you to know something very important. Good works are good, but they're not good enough to get you heaven. You are only going to get to heaven based upon the mercy of God and God's grace upon you. Well, that's subject number one. Cain thought he could be good enough to earn God's favor. Subject number two is how jealousy 
destroys us. Now, as we look at Cain's offering and how it was rejected, it was rejected because he wanted to do something with his hands. Cain's offering being rejected didn't create jealousy of, of his brother. It actually revealed that jealousy. He was really angry at God, but he took it out on Abel. You know, whenever somebody outperforms you, does it make you jealous? Not really. It actually reveals your jealousy. In Genesis 4, 5, it says that God liked Abel in his offering, but Cain in his offering didn't get his approval. Cain lost his temper and he went into a sulk. Cain centered his life and his identity and his work and his career and everything on what he could produce. He was a driven workaholic, but he was a very shallow person. You see, when his product was rejected, he felt rejected and jealousy took over. You know, I discovered something about when we get mad at God, we often take it out on those who look most like him. Now, envy and jealousy, it's something that we all deal with from time to time. Nobody is exempt. But I want to let you know something. There's a way that you can overcome jealousy. And it's as easy as A, B, C, and D. So if you're listening to me today and say, well, from time to time, I do battle jealousy. I've got some really good news for you. You can overcome that stronghold of jealousy in your life. Letter A, accept the plans that God has for your life. You may not be real happy where God has placed you, but Jeremiah reminds us in Jeremiah 29 verses 11 and 12 that he knows the plans that God has for us. They are plans to prosper us and not to harm us, plans to give us a hope and a future. So accept the plans that God has for your life. You know, in Jeremiah 29, it's really a bad chapter. I mean, the nation of Israel is under Babylonian captivity, and Jeremiah is reminding them just how bad it is to be under captivity. But in the middle of being in captivity, Jeremiah reminds them, God has plans to prosper them, not to harm them, plans to give them a hope and a future. So many times I think we stay in a bad situation longer than God expected us to or intended us to because we can't accept the plans that he has for our lives. Well, here's the second thing, letter B. Believe and pray to overcome. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21, it says, Whenever you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way, walk ye in it. So believe and pray to overcome. When you feel that jealousy festering up within your soul, that is when you begin to pray. When you get to the left or to the right, believe that God can set you free from that. You know how God does that? He does it through that voice called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, this is the way, walk ye in it. I've discovered something about the work of the Holy Spirit. When God speaks to me, that's the time to respond. Don't wait. Don't say, I'll do it later. Because when you don't respond, when the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you, Your heart doesn't get softer, it gets harder. He that being often rebuked will harden his heart, and there's no remedy for that. So when God speaks to you, pray that you can overcome that jealousy. As you get to the right or to the left, and you hear in your ears a voice that is saying, walk this way, walk that way. Believe that God will set you free from that jealousy. Well, let her see. Count your blessings. You know, it's normal to feel a certain level of measure of envy in our lives. However, when you stew in resentment over somebody else's blessings, you will inadvertently be shrugging off your own blessings. 
You know, the Bible warns us that if envy is left unchecked, it can cause you to sow seeds of discontent for yourself. This is what Solomon said in Proverbs 14.30. A perfect heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. Listen, we all battle jealousy and envy from time to time. I remember when we first started our church, we were meeting in the Worthington Club. And I remember I got to the point, I said, man, this is, this is a terrible place to meet every Sunday. That building was old and, and moldy and musky and, and mouse infested. And, and uh, I started thinking about that. I said, man, what? This is not fair. I says, how many pastors have to get to church at six o'clock in the morning and, and, and clean out a building and fumigate it because the night before they had a, a party in there and clean up broken beer bottles and mop out the place and open up the windows and let the air come in to get that stench of alcohol out of the building. And I started thinking, this is not fair. I started being jealous over other pastors. But you know what? The Lord rebuked me. I started thanking the Lord for that roaring club. And as a result of thanking the Lord for that roaring club, I volunteered to be their chaplain And then I began to change my whole attitude toward that building. And I discovered when the praises began to go up, the blessings started coming down. And it wasn't too long after that when I had that heart adjustment that God opened up the opportunity for us to buy 35 acres of beautiful land in southern Chesapeake. Listen, maybe, maybe, just maybe God is holding back a blessing in your life because you are a chronic complainer. Do you remember when you had your children when they were younger? Sometimes my kids would come to me whining and complaining, and I didn't know what they were whining and complaining about. It seemed like a whole lot of nothing to me, and I would tell them something. I said, now listen, especially my oldest, Tyler. Tyler's doing really good now, but sometimes he'd complain a lot. And I would say, now listen, Tyler, you're complaining an awful lot. If you don't stop your complaining, I'm going to give you something to complain about. I'm going to apply that board of education, your seat of learning, and uh, that will give you something to complain about, right? I think sometimes God does that to us. He says, I'm tired of you complaining. You are chronically complaining. I'm going to give you something to complain about. You know, when we thank God for the blessings in our lives, then he begins to bless us even more. You know, the Bible says to give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. So if you want to get over that jealousy, accept the plans that God has for your life, believe and pray that you can overcome them, count your blessings, and then letter D... Desire the best for the one that you are jealous over. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know this chapter, right? The love chapter. Every time I do pre-marriage counseling with a couple, I says, I want you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, seven times in seven days. And as you're reading it, I don't want you to say, does my spouse have or my intended spouse have this characteristic? I want you to ask yourself, do I have this characteristic? You know, there's a characteristic that's found in verse number four. A couple of them, but love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it doesn't boast, it's not prideful. So listen, when jealousy comes and you become jealous of someone, you are really saying, I don't love you, because love does not envy. So desire the best for the one that you are jealous of. And then letter E. Engage your energy to do something good. James 4.17 says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. So the energy that you have in being jealous over somebody is really wasted energy. Instead of using that energy to fuel that jealousy, 
Why don't you engage that energy to do something good? You know, there's two ways that we sin. We sin by omitting things in our lives. That is not doing something that we ought to do. We also sin by committing sins that we should not commit. James says, if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, that is sin. So I encourage you, if you are battling jealousy, engage that energy to do something good, not to waste it on being jealous or envious of somebody else. Well, we've learned two subjects so far. We've learned that works can't save us. We've learned that jealousy will destroy us. Let's look at our hearts. Subject number three is, how does our heart control us? Let's get back to the story of Cain. Cain's words didn't make his heart hard. Cain's words revealed his heart. Genesis 4.8, we discover that Cain had words with his brothers. They were out in the field. Cain came at Abel, his brother, and he killed him. The words of Cain were the revelation of his heart. He got so worked up against his brother that he kills him. Now, I know you know a lot about the Bible. That's why you listen to a Christian program. Did you know that the Bible consists of different books? You know, there's 66 books found in the Bible. And within the Bible, there are 1,189 chapters. And these chapters are comprised of 31,173 verses. Now, I know you know the shortest verse in the Bible. I used to always quote it. Remember your Sunday school teacher would say, anybody got a memory verse? I'd put my hand up. John 11:35. 35, Jesus wept. You know, about 400 years ago, there was a man by the name of Robert Stevens. He was a Frenchman, and he sat down, and he divided the Bible into chapters and verses. Now, when it comes to chapter 11 of John, for some reason, known only to him, when it comes to that 11th chapter of John's gospel, he divides it up in such a way that verse number 35 is a verse all by itself, two words, Jesus wept. Now, why did he make John 11:35 its own verse? I believe it is because this verse reveals the heart of Jesus. You know, as you think about the heart of Jesus, when I recorded this message, I had just finished doing a funeral for the homecoming of a woman in our church. As I visited the husband who lost his wife of almost 70 years, his heart was broken. Every time I would mention his wife's name, he would begin to weep. He just couldn't control himself. Why? because his soulmate had passed. A woman that he had spent over 70 years of his life with, a, a lady that she, he, he met her when she was in elementary school. They had known each other pretty much all of their lives. And he spent 70 years buried to this woman. Now she's gone. He continues to weep, not because he's not going to see her again. He's a believer. She's a believer. One day they'd be united in heaven together. But until that time, there's this time of absence. When I think about our hearts, the words that come out of your mouth reveal your heart. Jesus wept because he lost his dear friend Lazarus. He was brokenhearted. And I got thinking about that. Now, wait a minute. Jesus knew that Lazarus was going to die and that he was going to raise him again from the dead four days after he died. But in those four days, Jesus wept because his heart was broken. This is what Jesus said about the heart and, and, and the things that come out of our, our mouth. It begins in our heart. Jesus says, six, Luke 6, 45, a good man brings good things out of the good stored in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. 
You see, as you think about the words you use, they really reveal your heart. It is our heart that controls us. Well, we've had three subjects we've covered so far. Works can't save us. Jealousy can destroy us. Our hearts control us. Number four, let's talk about why pride condemns us. Pride hides, but it only can hide for a short amount of time. You know, I've been a prison chaplain for a long time. One of the things I've discovered about the men in prison is they know where every camera is, and they also know the hidden areas that the cameras don't cover. And so we've discovered that when an inmate drifts off into an area outside of the purview of the camera, we better send somebody to go check on him because he knows he's outside of the area that we can watch him on the camera. You know, pride is kind of that same way. Somebody said about pride, pride is like bad breath. You know, the person that has bad breath doesn't realize he has bad breath, but everybody around him does. Pride's the same way. The person that has pride doesn't realize he's filled with pride, but those who are around him, they realize he's full of pride, and they avoid him like the bubonic plague. Well, sin, the sin that Cain committed, that sin of murder, that didn't really separate him from God. It was pride that separated him from God. Look what it says in Genesis 4-7. God says, listen, Cain, if you do what's right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not what is right, sin is crouching at the door. If you don't get this right, that sin of pride is ready to pounce on you. It desires to have you. You must rule over it. The New Living Translation of that same verse says that sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it. You must be its master. God said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And you see the pride festering up in his heart when he says, how do I know? Am I my brother's keeper? You know, this is the second time we see God asking about where somebody is. The first time he did it was with Adam. Remember, Adam fell into sin and God goes after Adam and says, where are you, Adam? It wasn't that God didn't know where he was, but Adam didn't know where he was. Adam was far lost, more lost than he ever imagined. And now we see God going to Cain and saying, Cain, where's your brother Abel? I want you to know something. Cain needed to have his pride broken so that he could receive forgiveness. Let's say it's Christmas morning and you open up a gift from a friend and it's a book. And the title of that book is how to overcome pride. Now, to accept this gift, you're saying, ooh, my friend thinks I have a problem with pride. That's why he gave me this book. If you say, thank you for this book, you're in essence saying, I need to be forgiven of my pride. Or let's say you get a book that says, how to lose 100 pounds in 10 easy steps. (laughs) When you get that present, you kind of say, well, my friend thinks I need to lose some weight. (laughs) To accept that gift is to acknowledge, I need some help. You see, Cain could never get to the point where he would surrender his pride and realize that he needed to be forgiven. God saw the hardness of the heart of Cain, and so God put a mark on Cain. Now, this wasn't to curse him. This mark was to protect him. God didn't kill Cain, but Cain had a hard time fitting in, and so he became a wanderer all because of pride. His own pride condemned him. Well, we've talked about works can't save us. We've talked about how jealousy can infect us. I'm going to spend the first part of the next broadcast finishing up this message on how God can use this as we work through these five areas of our lives. 
So, Lord, we thank you for being with us during this broadcast. We thank you for the fact that your word encourages us, your word challenges us, your word gives us the ability to overcome any sin that we may commit in our lives. So, Lord, we come before you and we thank you that you will replace what the enemy has stolen from us. And I thank you for the opportunity to be on this broadcast today. I want to close with one final verse, Genesis chapter 4, to kind of give you a sneak preview of what we're going to begin our broadcast with tomorrow. It says that Adam slept with his wife again, and she had a son named Seth. She said, God has given me another child in his place, in the place of Adam, whom Cain killed. And then Seth had a son and named him Enoch. That's when men and women began praying and worshiping in the name of God. Listen, if there's something in your life that has been lost, God will replace it. And oftentimes he replaces it in the most unexpected way. We see that God gives Adam and Eve another son because they had lost Cain and Abel. Abel was killed. Cain is a wanderer. And God says, I'm going to give you another son. And his name is going to be Seth. And it means the one that the Lord replaces. And then Seth had a son and his name was Enoch. And we learn that Enoch walked with God and he was not because God took him. We also see because of the life of Seth and Enoch that all of a sudden, men and women began praying and worshiping in the name of God. Well, thank you so much for listening to the broadcast. I look forward to talking with you tomorrow. God bless you. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.